And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. I'm excited to be joined by David Subar and his company, Interna, today. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to build products, uh, engineering, product management, how to build things better, faster, maybe cheaper as well. I guess if you save a lot of time, it'll be cheaper. Um, so excited to talk all about that today. Um, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. David, welcome to the show, man. Let's Maybe we can build something in this episode. I'm excited. Let's do it. <laughs> so you you started this company in, in Turna. What, what time did when did you start this company? About nine years ago. Okay, so twenty thirteen ish. Okay, so so tell me, kind of, um, you know, your guys' expertise is being, you know, the chief technology officer, chief product officer, getting everybody to work together. So obviously, you must have a lot of background in that before you started this company. So. Tell us a little bit about your background before you, you started Interna. Yes. Yeah, so um, I started my career out doing research and development in AI and machine learning in a military-owned think tank in D.C. Wow. And so we were – that yeah, sounds uh, cool. Yeah, and, and then like I, I don't I don't want to date you or anything, but that, that was a while ago, right? And now ChatGPT is all the rage, and that's like – there's been a lot of time between that. So you were doing this yeah. a long time ago was the point. That's right. Well, the, so a couple, yes. And like, I was born a nerd, like I'm congenitally a nerd. Like I can't escape it if I wanted to. Don't want I it, like but it. if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. And so I thought doing research and development in AI and ML was going to be really cool. And it turns, turns out that doing the research for me, not so cool. Because when you do research, you're writing papers and you're presenting it to papers at a conference and then you're hoping the world is going to like absorb that yeah. and it's going to have some impact. And, and it's not tangible for me. Like I want to build things yeah. that have an impact on markets. I want to see right? it. So that's, that's right. That's exactly right. I want to see it. And so I went from there and I was just like not happy, you know, as, as like I wasn't engaged with what I was doing. And so I realized that there's a big difference between science and engineering. Yeah. Right. I was doing, yeah, you science. were, you were way ahead of the curve, right. Before where, where we are today, like what was way, capable exactly. then, what was capable then is nothing compared to what's capable today. Right. That's exactly right. And so I went from there and I went to an AI tools firm where we're actually building real product. And that was for me much more engaging, much more compelling. And so I was an engineer then I managed groups, then I was director, then I became CTO at a couple different companies. And so like, I was like on that path for building something that I could go, hey, mom, like this is what we did to change the world. And then I realized that 
product, the envisioning of what you're going to build and the actual building of it, those two things go together and are important in order to like have that impact. So I went, I switched from there to product and then I ran product teams, I ran product and, and engineering teams. And that's kind of what got me to intern up because like I got really engaged in what we build and how we build it. But at some point, like it's about building the team and the process and the organization and, and getting people engaged in who we serve. And that's what got me to intern because I did that a bunch. I was like, that's what I really like doing is building the teams that build product to have that impact. And so that's what, at internal, like that's what we dive into companies and we help them be more effective at building products that move markets. So that's the path. That's why we're lucky to have you here today, right? You're the expert at going into these companies. And I reluctantly uh, was joking before we started. I'm like, people must call you all the time. And, and their comment is always going to be, please come fix this shit. Like that's, that's the, that's the conversation, right? And, and you have to go in and help them figure out, okay, why aren't they being innovative? How are they doing engineering? How are they doing product? How do we get everybody to work together? And so excited to talk a lot about that today. And, and hopefully everybody's getting some uh, really valuable free lessons today. Yep. So I guess, um, we're, what are the, what are the, the biggest issues that you see? Like, you know, you get those phone calls and you, you, you know, you, you talk to this, you know, VC backed, you know, series C company, whatever, and they have all sorts of issues with, with building products. Like, is it usually the same pattern of, of problems or is it, you know, three or four most common issues? Like wh where does this usually start? You know, when you, you, you dive in. Yeah. So there are symptoms and problems and those are different. So the, the symptoms, we'll get a call from like a CEO who will say, you know, I keep putting cap on the product management engineering and things aren't getting out faster, or we're just hitting scale and we cobbled this together and it's not, never gonna scale the way it is. So help us understand. And those are the symptoms, you know, sometimes the symptoms are, I don't understand what CTO is saying, or we don't get along, or product and engineering don't get along. Those are the symptoms. And but we really tend to see the problems are is how are people focused and what are they talking about? And so oftentimes engineers are focused on my job is to write really great algorithms that are, you know, scale login and um, really elegant algorithms. And my job is to put out code or product managers might say we do, you know, we work with the UX people. and We do specifications and we do user stories and we have roadmaps. That's what we do. and that's where the problems often start is that what, who's having what conversations about what. And one of the things that we typically have to say is your job is not to build software. Your job is not to build user story. Your job is to ship a product. And so let's focus on who we serve and what they need and how we're going to ship the smallest iteration as quickly as possible so we can start delivering value. And so typically like agile development processes think about this and talk about this really well, but very few people actually know how to do that. And very few people have the right conversations. And then the conversation with the CEO goes to, here's who we serve, here's what we're gonna build. 
And here's why it makes sense for our company to do that. Here's how we go to the next step. And it seems like that's not an engineering problem to understand that. But the engineers can write code multiple ways. And if they have the context, they're likely to pick the right ways consistently. If they don't have the context, it's just, I'm going to build the code. I'm a feature factory. You tell me what to do. I'll get it done. Then they're disconnected. So you think so it's getting people. So, so a lot of times it is, you think it's just a breakdown in collaboration and priority, like amongst all the stakeholders and the engineering team of just being really focused on like what really matters and the order of importance and, and iterating to it. That's right. Now, that's easy to say, but then <laughs> that's it. We're done. Guys. We figured it all out, guys. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. Everyone's got a unicorn now. Wonderful. Yes. Right. But it, it's about, do you have the right people in the room? Are they organized correctly? Are their processes correct? Does the architecture support that? There's this great book, Team Topologies, that talks about organizational design around architectures. And that's half the battle. But architectures have to support what you're trying to do. That has to support who your users are. There's this whole kind of a pyramid that goes from delivering value to execution. And that's what we think about. And that's, that's what often breaks down. Well, and, and in all of this, there's, there's some magic in having somebody that understands like how things are supposed to be done. And it's like, for example, if you ask me like, how long is it going to take to build the empire state building and how would you do it? I'd be like, I have no idea. Uh, forever. It's going to take literally forever and billions of dollars. I have no idea. But if you have somebody that has done this kind of stuff before, they'd tell you like, oh, don't do this. You're going to save a lot of time. Skip these steps. Focus on this thing. Get this thing done first. Boom, 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 boom. And you all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this seems easy now. We know exactly what to do. And but most corporations like struggle with that is what I feel like. Like it's it's more along the lines of like we need to build an empire state building and nobody's really sure how to do that. And we all just run around in circles instead of having somebody that understands like how to cut through all of it and figure out like, no, this is exactly what we need to do. And we need to stop worrying about all these things. Yeah. And it's that, but it's also going like, you know, we don't know exactly what we need to do, but we know we're directionally correct. Right. Let's build this small thing. Let's let the market tell us. the look. It's I, I've forgotten the guy's name who said this and I apologize to him. If he ever hears this, it's like, don't worry, be crappy. Right. It's like, Build something, get it out there. The advantage of building software versus building the Empire State Building is you've got to get the design for the Empire State Building exactly right. You've right. got to build a foundation big enough. Yeah. Before you start, we can release fast. Right? Software is much we more can, forgiving. It's much more forgiving. So let's take advantage of that. Right. And let's not assume our product managers are all geniuses because they're not. Right. It's not a job you can be perfect at. So Let's ask them to be directionally correct. Let's build quickly, test quickly, and let's build a team and organizational design processes that support that quick learning. So I, I do some consulting for a company that I'm a shareholder in. I, I sort of work like a fractional CTO for them for basically a few minutes a week. But um, I've, I kind of feel like I fight with the product manager all the time because he's always trying to overcomplicate things and like once worry about every edge case and we need to handle every scenario today. And it's like very frustrating for me. I'm always like, let's just make this shit work and ship it. And then we'll just keep improving it. 
but it's like he is i feel like he's putting like the iron dome over the top of it and trying to just overcomplicate everything and just slows it all down it's like a never-ending fight i feel like of and it's the it's we, they have the this is a little bitty company but they have the exact same problem you describe and they have one product manager but it seems like he's just always putting up these barriers and problems that prevents the team from just quickly iterating and learning right right and so here's what i would say to that person like i don't know who this person is but it's like oh do you have this exactly right like do you know this is exactly right we're going to do this it's going to take us three months to build but if it's exactly right let's not waste the time Let's build it exactly right and be done. If you're not sure, here's the here's the smaller case, the, the MVP often, right? But here's a smaller case I can get built in two weeks or in two days, and we can get that in the market. How about we do that? Well, and that's where I started with this thing is the team originally thought it was going to take like five months to build. And, you know, me and a couple of other developers, we all looked at it and were like, hey, you know what? It seems like this should take like four weeks to do. Um, and, and we're actually doing really good. Actually, the project's almost done, but it's very easy to actually see when you go through it, how people continually interject things that could slow it down. If you don't have somebody experienced that keeps like preventing all those roadblocks and distractions. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, this is, that's where being, knowing how to cut, where to cut having some idea of being smart with the technology and the market and the business becomes really helpful. When I started my career, I was also the maven of perfect. Right. right. Well, that, because that's... I was an engineer when I started, like, I just like, here's everything. I just need to understand everything. Cause engineers are really good at understanding data, but it's really the information. Like, what do we really need to do? What's I the almost... minimum we can do? You know, and as I, as I've done this, you know, for twenty years now, and I feel like I'm I'm working on a potential new startup idea now, and and I don't beat myself up about too much of it because I know that in the back of my head, I keep reminding myself, it's like it doesn't matter what I decide to do now, it's wrong, and I can spend forever thinking about it, but it is wrong, and we will learn what the right way was, but we will not learn that until later. And I think that's the mistake that most people make is they get so paralyzed about trying to handle every single thing that they don't allow themselves to, to learn later. That's right. That's right. They, right. They, they fall, they, they believe, believe in the myth of uh, every Apple product was perfect the day it came out. They believe the myth. And so I have to be that way too. They believe the myth of, I can just extrapolate everything and know what the market wants. The market hasn't seen what you've been doing. They've never seen this before. So as soon as you put something out there, it's changing what they want anyway. So if you're, if you're going to what the market currently wants, as soon as you release, they want something else because you've changed the market. When the iPhone came out, it didn't have an app store. They only discovered they wanted an app store because someone hacked it and put apps in the iPhone. That wasn't part of the plan. That was something Apple learned. Well, and their feedback is going to pull them a hundred different directions, right? And so, um, yeah, that it, it's it, it's a never-ending journey of, of building software. And, and, you know, one of my favorite quotes from 
the movie The Social Network, and I don't know if Zuckerberg ever said it, was like software is like fashion. There's no final version, right? And which is which is totally true. It, it needs care and feeding forever. Once you go to build something, you you it's like adopting a puppy. You you got this thing for a long time. That's right. That's right. And by the way, congratulations. It's always changing because then the market you change the market and it's learning and it's adapting to you and you have to adapt again. Entrepreneurship is really hard. Right? All the easy stuff has already been done. There's no value in it. So all that's left is the hard stuff. It's going to be hard. And the market's yeah. going to change and you're going to have to change. And if you don't change, someone's going to do it. So be expect like you have to have an adaptive learning product management engineering organization. And by the way, adaptive learning product management engineering adaptive and learning company, not just Procme. So tell me this, you mentioned agile development earlier. Are you a big fan of, of agile? Like tell, tell us more about agile. Yeah. So, so short answer is yes. I'm a big fan What's of the sound. A short answer is yes. I'm a big fan of agile development. Um, uh, and, uh, but, there's many different methodologies. There's Kanban, there's Scrum, there's, there's, you know, there's Scrumbon, there's XP. There's a, and you've got to pick the right tool set for what it is you're trying to do. And, but the point of all of these is build and adapt. And these are different ways of building and adapting. And depending on what you're, the kind of thing you're trying to do, it's like, I don't always use a ratchet wrench when I'm fixing something at home. Sometimes I need a screwdriver. Sometimes I need a hammer. You need to know when you pull the ratchet wrench out and which one you pull out. I want the metric set. I want the I want the the imperial set, right? And so that's I'm a big fan of agile methodologies, uh, but I'm also a fan of picking the right one. But you need to learn the methodologies and you need to adapt it for what you're doing. And and part of that is you don't need to do agile exactly the certified way that you know agile is supposed to be done or whatever which i don't think most people do anyways they have their own frankenstein version of it which is okay but it, it, at the end of the day whatever you call it it's all just about iteration right it, it whatever you That's call right. it whichever the method is you don't need to do any of it perfect the, the thing that matters most is iterating quickly and getting feedback and just continually trying to improve that's right and to your point is People don't use the orthodox agile methodologies. Actually, every agile methodology I know about, you're supposed to adapt it as well to your circumstance, right? So even if you start at the orthodox Scrum or XP or whatever you choose, you're meant to adapt it to your business. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing it right. Well, since we're talking about agile development, I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to help you uh, define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So what are, so we talked about product. Um, I want to talk about product some more. So some people may not really even realize like, okay, what does a product team do versus what does a software development team do? And maybe you could give us a little insight for those who are listening that are maybe you're not experts on all this. Like, okay, what does a product team do? What is, what is their role in this and how they work with engineering? So the, the very shortest answer is product is what you're going to do and engineering is how you're going to do it. 
the slightly more the slightly more nuanced or detailed answer is product says here's the people we're serving here's the problem they have that needs to get solved here's how we can solve it and i'm going to say what the interaction i want the users to have with the product the engineering team then and i'm saying as if they're two separate teams um the engineering then team says i understand what you're saying the product needs to do i'm going to write the code to make that do it and i'm going to ship it and then i'm going to put enough in for instrumentation in it so we see if people are actually doing product manager what you said they're going to do product is the what engineering is that the actual implementation now product needs to say not just here's the next feature but here are the next three features or four features here's the order we're going to put them in because here's what we think the market needs here's what our competitors are doing i'm the ceo of owning value creation for the market that we're serving but in fact they're they're together because right we ship a product together do you think a lot of companies, do you think a lot of company, early stage companies struggle with, maybe they don't even really have a product team, like the CEO is the product owner, or like the original founders of the product owner, or they just rely on one of the developers to basically be the product owner? Like what, what kind of challenges do you, have you seen from that? So that absolutely happens a lot. And what often gets missed is the broader vision. It's do this feature, do this feature, do this feature, do this feature without a, here's the direction we think we're heading. And here's the features that we think we need to go. It's, oh, I could just close the sale if I just had this feature or um, uh, someone just asked, I just had this idea. And it's the, the constant drip, drip, drip of a new idea, new idea, new idea. You want to have a theory of what you're going to do. Now that that roadmap is going to change. As you release, the market's going to tell you what you got, what you got right, what you got wrong. Um, so it's okay to to not have the roadmap planned out for three years in advance with with high levels of precision. Actually you don't want that. Um, but you also don't want just here's my smart idea of the day. I just and make the engineering team do that. So I I think a lot of early stage companies fall into that trap that you just described of being like a feature factory, right? They just keep adding more features over and over, but they don't really focus on what the customer wants. They don't really plan them out. They don't really prioritize them. They don't use any kind of feedback. They, they just keep building features because they think that is, that is the solution. And, you know, I've, my first company, I would say we were almost guilty of that. Like we just built all sorts of stuff. We just kept doing all sorts of things, but we, we were fairly lucky. It all, it all worked out for us in the end, but to some degree, the products also get like really overly complicated because of that. I'm sure you've seen that a few times too. Absolutely. Everything on the roadmap should, every major feature on the roadmap should have an epic state. We believe, we believe this user exists. We believe by doing this feature for this user, they'll get this kind of value, and we'll know it when we see this metric move. You have to have a thesis for why you're building something. If you have an infinite amount of revenue, or infinite amount of capital, then you can just try to build every feature randomly anytime you want, and 
the world eventually will come to your door. It, it turns out that I know of no startups that have an infinite amount of capital. So you need to make some bets on the roadmap and you need to learn from them. Well, and you, you have to figure out how to differentiate yourself. I was on a Facebook group last night and, and this guy has some kind of invoicing software. And he's like, oh, I can't figure out like how to make Google ads work and sell my product and whatever. And I go to his website and I'm like, okay, it does invoicing. And my, my feedback for him was like, okay, why wouldn't I just use QuickBook invoicing? Like what is different about your product? You do invoicing. So what? Like, how do I know that I should be your customer and that you're better than every other alternative there is? Right. And I, I feel like that's that's always the missing thing in early stage startups is thinking about their product and trying to figure out, like, how do we differentiate ourselves from other people? And that may mean like turning away a lot of business like we we turn away a lot of business. But now the customers that are a perfect fit for us know exactly that we're a perfect fit for them. So like. Maybe we're only a perfect fit for 1% of the market, but that 1% of the market knows for sure we're the perfect fit instead of us basically being a bad fit for 100% of the market. Right, because then you're differentiated. So if you have a heart attack, you're going to find a cardiologist. You're not going to find a general doctor. It's like, I'm going to find like, right. I, I want to find the guy who could, or the woman who could solve this problem for me right now. I'm going to seek out not the general person, but the one who solves this problem. That's why, like, an internal arc, what do we do? Product management, engineering, making them more effective. If you say, could you coach our sales leader? No, we can't. Right. <laughs> right? It's not what we do. We're specialized in this. If right. you have the problems, there's two problems, like not going fast enough, put, keep putting capital in, not getting more out, or, or hitting scale. Those are problems we can fix for you. We do them again and again. We learn from them. We can speak to our market. Every company needs to be able to say, here's whose problem we solve. Here's the problem we have. Here's how we're going to solve it for them. So is that and a common problem? Then you problem? can have that conversation. I mean, is that a really common you know, problem or symptom that you see when, when people call you in for help is like they're, they're not as focused as they need to be. They're, they're kind of all over the place. Like they don't understand their, you know, perfect customer and what the pro what the customer needs, all that kind of stuff. That is a very common problem. It's not the only kind of problem we see, but it's very common. It's like, can you tell me in two sentences who you work with and who you, who solve the problem? If you can't, if it takes you, if it takes me, you two pages to describe that to me, you got a problem. So what other what other kind of problems do you see on the product side? Like if you're giving advice to people, like how to be better at product, how to run a product team and what, what other kind of advice do you have? Um, refuse to be an order taker. Like this being a feature factory, people get pushed into it. Don't engage in the conversation of what do you want? I'll get it done for you. Engage in the conversation of, it's the same theme, really. Engage in the problem conversation is, is what problem are we solving and for whom? It's, it's oh, I've got this great idea. We should do X. Oh, great. Who's, who needs that? Mm -hmm. How big is that market? Do, is that protectable? Is there is a moat around that market that if we do this, that five other companies can't do it and and um, and reduce our margin. 
do we have some kind of differential value that's protectable? Facebook, I could, you know, I could rewrite all the code of Facebook and make software just as good as Facebook does. No one's ever going to use mine because what Facebook has that's protectable is hundreds of millions of users. So what do I want to do if I want to attack Facebook? I'm not going to build another Facebook. I'm going to build TikTok. I'm going to build Snapchat. I'm going to build Be Real, right? They're solving slightly different problems, but they're also protectable. Yeah, a good example of that is all these potential competitors to Twitter, right? But they they sign up a, they're like, oh, we signed up, you know, 2 million new users for Mastodon or whatever. And it's like, in the same month, Twitter signed up more than that and more new users. <laughs> That's right. 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 It's so hard to, to compete when you have like that massive uh, user base. Right. And it's not like network effective user base is one protectable uh, differentiator. It could be laws and regulations. It could be, cost of getting into it it could be it could be a whole lot of things it's rarely ever software because given enough developers someone can recreate someone else's software the product manager needs to be attached to who we serve and how is that protectable and needs to be able to explain it to the engineers and everyone else in the company by being able to say here's the stuff we're putting on the roadmap and here's why and here's how that creates value for its customers but here's how that creates protectable value for us. Now the product manager's escalated to being strategic and having a seat at the table with the CEO and the chief revenue officer and everyone else because they're providing value to the company. So I have another topic that I'm hoping that you can um, tell us about today. What can you tell us about product-led growth? Is that something that you you spend time on? Yes, 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 yes. PLG, yes, it's all the rage, but uh, for good reason. Um, Product-led growth is just a continuum to saying, we're going to release something and see how people consume it, and then we're going to iterate. And we're going to do that without this intermediary of a salesperson. But you need to think, this is where Agile really is important, where a bunch of small tests and putting things out there and being able to see where things where things consume. And this is where North Star metrics become important. Here are the metrics we're going to look at to see if users are using this and how we get growth. But the thing about North Star metrics, and people say, you, a company should have one North Star metric and should align everything to that. I actually think you probably have a small handset, hand, handful, two, three, four, not 10. But off, but you need to be thoughtful about them. And often these North Star metrics are trailing metrics. Oh, people bought more. And this is where product management really is important is, here are, it goes back to the Epic statement. We believe by doing this feature for this user, they're gonna have this value and we'll see when we see this metric. It's what things does the user have to do to make them compelled to keep using our product. And so yeah. you need, as a product manager, you need to think about some, some leading metrics, not just not just lagging metrics, to do that, and that's that's really where where the product manager needs to do and think about, and where they really have a seat at the table. And product-led growth is great because you can expand your revenue 
without nearly as much cost of direct sales team and inside sales and all that other stuff. Well, product-led growth is really important for companies that have a, a very low price point, right? Like Slack or Jira or Basecamp or you know these these kinds of products that are $50 a month, $100 a month, stuff like that. You can't afford a salesperson to sell them. And so you the product has got to sell itself. And um, my last company, Stackify, we really focused a lot on this. You know, we had free trials and then getting people to download the product and use it and, and getting them to that aha moment, right, was super critical um, for them to see value. And then hopefully they would use it and then hopefully they would tell other people. Right. And then you go to a PLG company that also has outbound sales, like AWS, yeah. right? If if you're uh, if you're Netflix, believe me, they've got a sales representative when they're when they're using you know cloud computing at AWS. Sure, but a startup doesn't really have they like right to your points that the unit cost is small, and it's just you know getting them in and using the product, and so you need to think about that. Yeah, product product usage becomes really key. So, what other tips do you have for? getting the, the product team and the engineering team to work together? Um, I want the engineering team to ask, why are we doing things? Why are we doing this? As a matter of fact, I want, I want the manager engineering or the product manager to say, tell me why you think we're doing this. I want it to make an incumbent on the engineers to understand why. And I want to make it incumbent on the product managers to understand how. So I want the product managers to know something about the architecture we're building. They don't have to know algorithms and they don't have to know we're building this and know, well, they probably know they're building, what language they're building, but the low-level details. But they need to understand the architecture because they're going to make choices that are easier or hard. And to the extent they know the architectures, they'll make better choices. To the extent the engineers know why, they're going to also make better choices. And so it's about focusing the conversation on, once again, from the epic statement to every user story has value described in it. Um, and then when a, when a product manager says, I'd like you to do this, I want the engineers to come back and say, we can do that. That's going to take three weeks. But I could do this other thing that's going to get 80% of your value. This is how you know if you're winning. I can do something that's going to take 80% of your value. I can get it done in two days. By the way, you get this other side effect. Isn't that a better choice? That's how you know if you're winning. Well, and I think the product team definitely needs to understand the level of effort versus the level of value, right? Like that's that's really important for product to understand. Like this one little feature you want, is that going to take a day to do or a month to do? And is it worth doing it? Like I think a lot of companies struggle because the product team doesn't have that level of understanding and also doesn't have the understanding of what you just described, right? Of the developers knowing like, why are we, what are we really trying to accomplish? And is there an easier way to do this that is 80% of the solution? Right. And so the so I think product managers should say, that's going to take three weeks. Can you explain to me why that's going to take three weeks? If I only if I wanted something in in five days, what could you get me of high quality? Right? Don't don't hack crap together. What could you get me of high quality and what features could you get out? That's the kind of conversation they should engage in. Not like, it shouldn't take three weeks. That's not helpful. It's like, what could you get to me in three days? Or, uh, And then then the engineers can say, I could only get you that. Does that make sense? Does that help? Tell me why. 
it's engaging as peers on that level that you get to rapid velocity releases. So how often do you come into these organizations and it seems like the development, the development team is just getting absolutely nothing done at all. It's just things are just take forever. There's very little output of the team. Like, is there a common reason for that? Um, is it a, is it a talent issue? Is it a product management issue or, you know, what, what do you, what do you see in those scenarios? Um, so that does happen. Sometimes it's happened because they've been a feature factory so long and they've been pressure for writing software song. They've written a bunch of crap and it's just the, the molasses of moving the next thing forward gets really, really slow. Sometimes that's the cause. Sometimes it's, um, uh, it's because they're not engaged. Like they've been told, shut up, write code, and we'll get it out. Sometimes it's low quality people. Like you just don't have good people on staff. Yeah. So, right. Sometimes it's process. It could be any number of those things. And it could be a mix of them. Um, and that's when the evaluation of meeting the people and understanding and understanding why they're here. Do they even measure velocity? Do they think about the end of a sprint? How can we increase our velocity? What can we do? Um, are they allowed to spend a certain amount of their time uh, refactoring all of the time, or are they never allowed to refactor? Like, these are all things that you have to jump in and see what's really going on. It's you know the the thing about engineering is if all of they're doing is responding to requests, then eventually it's like running a car and never going to the gas station. For the first tank of gas, you'll get further if you don't fill up. You just don't get to get the second tank. So there needs to be a time for the engineers to be able to fill up the gas tank. And uh, Stephen Covey talks about sharpening the saw. Right. Right. You need to be able to sharpen the saw to do tooling so you can write code faster to refactor things. That needs That is part of a good engineering process that the engineers need to be allowed to have do. So let me ask you this: what What about requirements? What are, What are your thoughts about what level of requirements developers should get? Because I, I'm the kind of, I'm I can work as as basically the product manager and the developer both. So the requirements are always kind of in my head, and and I kind of know what needs to be done. But I've also worked in teams where the product owner provides such granular level of requirements that I feel like they're um, paralyzing to the developer because they're just so complicated that they struck like there's no TLDR version of any of this, right? There's like hundred like pages of stuff. So I'm just kind of curious what what you see and what you recommend on like the right like level of requirements to give a development team that that works well in like an agile way. Yeah, so um, I think. The short answer is the least amount of requirements that can that can show the value you're creating. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but um, gee, it, it's good to the extent that you can give them a UI UX specification to find level to tell that's good. They might divert from that. That's good, but don't tell them how to do their job. Tell them the output you want their job to do. What you want the what you want the, the product to do, and no more, and be and be willing to have a a, a a debate, a discussion about it. So 
I'm a big believer in user stories. I'm a big believer in acceptance criteria. And I'm a big believer in only doing the minimum of those that you need to get the next iteration out. I'm not sure if I answered your question completely, but. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, like this one company that I, I do this work with, I feel like part of their problem is the requirements are so overwhelming to the developers that what they really need is to have like daily stand-up kind of meetings that are less about status and more about debate about like, what are we doing? How are we doing it? What do you need to know? What questions do you have? Let's talk through what we're trying to work on right now. Let's make sure you understand the acceptance criteria. Let's make sure you understand the requirements, all that stuff, right? On a daily basis. But I feel like in some companies, instead of doing that, they just write down a whole bunch of requirements and just throw them at the developers and then just like expect them to follow all the requirements. Yeah. And that's poison, right? If it's like, that's, that's, you know, just do this, shut up, get it done is poison. Um, because people will tend to do what you ask them to do, but it's like you say, it's overwhelming. I will get this all done. This is all going to take me three months. Um, don't, by the way, please don't bother me between now and then because you've just given me so much, so, so much. Give them the minimum amount of documentation to get the next increment done, including, but also give them the gestalt of the why, right? So yeah. that daily stand, daily stand up is meant to be 15 minutes. So you eliminate a bunch of other meetings during the day where you talk about, here's what I got done. Yes. Here's what I thought I was get done yesterday. Here's what I actually got done. Here's why I have a Delta. Here's what I think I'm going to get done today. Here's where I need some help. Small increments consistently talk about it and then release as early as you can. And something I'm a fascist about is MVP, minimal, mm -hmm. minimally viable product. People go, here's the MVP, but it's not really the minimum set of things. It's the things I want. It's like, could we, can we ship any less and still add value? Constantly ask the question of, can we ship less and still add incremental value? Well, and, and, and to me, it's the, the, the reason that you do those iterations and you ship something, even if it's not done yet, you're like, hey, we wouldn't even release this to the customers yet. It's like not even MVP yet. But every couple of weeks where we are releasing it internally, people can play with it. It builds confidence in the team. You know, it, it builds confidence in the whole organization where... You know, if, if, if everybody in the company thinks like, man, the development team never gets anything done. We ask them for things. We never see anything. And then like miraculously, like nine months go by and they finally do something like that's, that's not a good, that, that's not a good environment. And, you know, even if the team is shipping something every couple of weeks and maybe it actually sort of sucks, it just feels like we're accomplishing something and it builds confidence in the, in, you know, throughout the rest of the organization. That's absolutely correctly. In the beginning of my career, I, I was. We'll get you something in nine months. Don't bother us until then. Believe me, we're going to get it in nine months. We're going to get everything you want. It's going to be great. But if you bother us between now and then, it's going to be disruptive. It's going to take longer. And what happens is exactly what you said is people like, they start wondering, is it really going to get nine months? Nine months is a long time. I don't know. I can't see. I don't know where it's at. And by the way, because it's something you've never built before, it doesn't really take nine months. It ends up taking 10 or 11. People really, a small increment of work demonstrated to people on a regular basis lets them know where you're at, and also engages them with the process of, oh, I know I asked you for the blue dot over there. Now I see it. 
you know what, blue dot's not right. Can we have a red rectangle here? Here's why. And now engineering is engaging with the rest of the country. What you're saying is absolutely right. Even when my wife was pregnant, we have three kids. When she was pregnant, I got to see the progress. Oh, look, her belly's getting bigger. Look, we had a sonogram. <laughs> Baby's going to be okay, right? It's helpful as an expectant father. You're nervous. It's helpful as an expectant colleague at a company to know how the baby's coming. <laughs> My wife is is uh, is pregnant with baby number five right now, and so uh, I, I definitely see it and hear it all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five's a lot, by the way. I got three, so you're up on me by sixty six percent. Yep, five five is fun. Uh, my fifth one is a girl. All the rest are boys, so it's a whole new world in this household. My so. wife, we have three girls. My wife said to me, "The fourth one might be a boy." And I'm like, "Or not, <laughs> or twin girls." <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's that's the way it would. Uh, it, that's that's what I always joked was going to happen to me. Well, um, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, David, this has been a great conversation about building software and engineering and, and product and all these things. Um, as we wrap up the show, do you have any final final thoughts, you know, tips for entrepreneurs listening today? I, I would say this is, I mean, I kind of said what we do. Let me just give two seconds about that. But we evaluate product managing engineering teams. We coach CTOs, chief product officers. We do interim CTO, chief product officer work. We do diligence. If people have questions that we didn't cover, they should just reach out to me. I'm glad just to answer questions, right? If they want one of those services, glad to do that too. Of course, that's how we make money, but people should just reach out to ask questions. And I do this all day. Like I'm glad to give free advice. Awesome. Well, that, that is a, a great offer. And again, this is David Subar. You can find him on LinkedIn. It's uh, David and his last name is S-U-B-A-R and reach out to you um, and your guys' website, interna.com. Uh, it's I-N-T-E-R-N-A.com. So, um, well, David, thanks you, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Matt. And congratulations. Five children, man. I envy you. <laughs> or not. I'm not sure. You know, they, they always joke that, you know, nine pregnant women can't have a baby in one month. But um, when, when your wife was, is the one that's pregnant, you sure wish that that could be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.